Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? What's up, Sam? How you doing on this fine quarantine day? I'm I'm good. Staying clean, staying healthy, locked locked in, very focused. Um, but more so, very excited to have our guest on today. Uh, our guest today is a Billboard Power player, uh, Sean Famoso. He is one of the co-founders, and he is the head of marketing at Love Renaissance, also known as LVRN. Uh, LVRN Love Renaissance is a management company, and also has a record label component via a joint venture with Interscope. They have an incredible roster. They, they manage and help represent people like Black, Summer Walker, uh, Boogie. The list goes on. I think they have a very progressive sound, a very unique model. They've received a lot of acclaim. Um, and I think it's really incredible to have Sean on today and really talk through a lot of the, the ways in which they built their company, how they approach marketing, storytelling. We also spend a lot of time talking about some of the different market changes and 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 opportunities amidst this kind of COVID pandemic and, and how we can adapt and be progressive and use this as an opportunity to, to actually grow our businesses. So really enjoyed learning about everything you had to say. What'd you think, Jordan? Yeah, man, I thought it was great. I mean, I've been watching LVRN for years and years to see the things that they've been able to do and, and grow into. Um, I'm glad we kind of get to dive into that journey a little bit. Um, you know, some of it intention, some of it was intentional, but some of it wasn't. But I think, you know, from the core of this conversation, it goes to just show that, you know, if you're passionate about something and he's he's very passionate about marketing and, and his artists and his team, um, then, you know, they can, they can you know, make it work and, and do whatever they feel is necessary for the next step of their artist career. So um, I think it's a super dope interview. Um, and I think I think people will learn from it, especially small business, small business owners in the music industry and in the management and record label sector, um, but also artists themselves. For sure. Well, can't wait to get into it. One other small note. Uh, we're really excited. Jordan and I and, and Noah, Music Business Podcast team, have been working on a lot of stuff and just constantly trying to find ways to really just create value for you guys. So really excited to announce that next week, next Thursday, we'll be launching a uh, Music Business Podcast community on Patreon. You'll be able to We'll kind of create a Discord group where you guys will be able to network with each other. We'll be curating different job listings in the music industry, um, doing exclusive AMAs, giving access to show notes, as well as letting you guys submit different questions for upcoming guests. So can't wait for that to, to officially come out. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to go to musicbusiness.com slash community, you can sign up for uh, to be the first to know there. So... Uh, check it out, musicbusinesspodcast.com slash community. But without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode with Sean Famoso. Let's do it. Sean, what's happening, man? How you doing? I mean, I can't call it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess I'm just like everybody else. You say you're good, but you know deep down inside, you're not. But right. I guess my real question was like, is kind of like this whole quarantine shit's been similar to... The new year, we're like, you don't know how far after January 1st are you supposed to stop saying happy new year at the end of every email, right? <laughs> right? The beginning of every time you bump into somebody. So I feel like it's the same with the quarantine, like with the whole, like, you know, how you holding up, what you've been occupying yourself with. I'm like, yeah, we're two months in at this point. Life is just different. So, yeah, right, yeah. right. It, I mean, it seems too like, a lot of the latest reports when it comes to like the live event side, because that's definitely going to be one of the last things to kind of open up as they start to lighten up these lockdowns might not even start back until like mid fall 2021. Right. Right. Um, and I, I mean, you know, I think, I think it's really tough, especially for artists that were on their zero to 60 path. Mm -hmm. You know, like there is, <clears throat> superstars there's stars there's rising stars and then there's on the watch list and i feel like it's incredibly hard being on the watch list and also being a rising you know 
talent at this moment because, you know, touring not only is, you know, a great source of income, but the opportunity to be in front of, you know, your growing fan base is needed is, you know, is all we've ever known, you know, from the beginning of what we would consider like the modern music industry. So we've ever known as, you know, a main source of being an artist. So to have to figure that part out right now, is obviously, um, you know, tough. And especially even, you know, for us and all of our acts, you know, we have some more established acts, but we also have some developing acts that we have to change our approach. And Mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, it is what it is right now. For sure. I mean, when to dive deeper into that too, it's like how how has the approach been changing? What uh, I mean, when you look at how you're focusing on developing acts, helping them grow, drive streams. Obviously, it looks night and day compared to what it was a couple months ago. But I mean, what what does the approach look like for you right now? Well, I mean, I think you know, obviously, you know, the whole team and everybody uh, obviously has their superpowers of where they focus a lot of their energy, but. I think, you know, the blessing naturally is when you're really happy, you listen to music. When you're really sad, you listen to music. When you're in the car, you listen to music. When you're quarantined at home, you listen to music. So I feel like the need for content, the need for music is, if not the same, higher than it's ever been. Um, I think that the approach to live, for instance, like, like, I've been kicking myself in the ass for like the last like month because I had an idea a while ago. Nobody cares about ideas that you never did if somebody did it first mm-hmm. by stuff. But I, you know, Summer never really enjoyed being on tour. Um, mm-hmm. Touring process. So I was like, bro, like if we created a tour, like a living room tour in which we could like, um, what's the word? Geo, geo-lock city specific places and summer can literally perform in Miami on Monday, LA on Tuesday, London on Wednesday. And the only people that can enter that, you know, that link would be people that are in that city, obviously because we're geolocking. Granted, Zoom has been amazing to be able to provide certain, uh, you know, certain ideas. But I feel like the element that yet nobody yet has been able to master with, because obviously like, you know, as soon as, this quarantine thing happens, it turns into like, you know, performing on Instagram live, performing on Instagram live. And within a week and a half, you're like, all right, like, you know, it's hard <laughs> to interesting. Right. Um, I what makes a show interesting is the experience of getting your ticket, waiting in line, buying merch, da 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 da. I think Travis has obviously smashed in that regard with what he did with um, Fortnite recently, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of random, but I think um, the main thing for us as a company is unlearning everything that we have, especially Mm -hmm. from the standpoint as far as marketing. Um, You know, us being very detail-oriented when it comes to our rollouts and the way that we like, especially for our newer artists to be presented initially to the world. You know, there's a lot of touch points. Like, we always say that we need to have something that, you know, is sonically pleasing, visually pleasing, and be able to activate in real life and on the internet. So the fact mm-hmm. that you're taking away our real life interaction and being able to actually touch people, um, us, I guess, like compensating for that is the challenge. But, you know, I think for me, I spent the first two weeks of this whole quarantine thing just waiting for it to be over so I can get back to mm-hmm. my normal life while I do shit. Mm-hmm. And then, soon realizing, like, damn, like, I'm actually either going to be proactive about this or reactive about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our company, you know, we pride ourselves on kind of being first to things rather than last to things or in the mix of things. So uh, I think soon after that point, I really, you know, mentally checked back in in the sense of, I right, like, I just have to unlearn what I know that I'm good at and reapproach rolling out artists and projects and ideas in a different way than we've ever done before because everybody has to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's almost as if you just have to change your idea of reality. And then, like, you know, given this new reality, what are, what are the next steps that we can do if, if, this, is the, if this is the only reality we have, you know? 
You can only um, so long. And I feel like I, I'm becoming part of the problem. Of like, yeah, you know, well, you know, when things get back up and running, when things get back, like, who knows? So, like, you know, and, you know, I'm always very big on, you know, things that change don't affect you for 12 to 18 months. We don't really know what the effect of this is going to be because you don't, you know, the immediate effect, but it's kind of like you don't really know how this is going to, what the ripple effect of this is going to be. So if I don't work as hard right now or try to work in the same way that I only know how to work, I'll realize in 12 months how much of a mistake that was. You know, yeah, right. I'm setting ourselves up for a positive ripple effect rather than, uh, oh, shit, we should have should have changed our content strategy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, is critical to do that and be proactive and move quick. Because I think even if you look at a lot of different like financial experts, they are literally comparing this and projecting that this will be worse than and not not to get like too downward, but simply from a place of like proactive action and thoughtfulness, they're projecting that this will be more similar to the Great Depression in the '30s than uh, than the 2008 stock market crash. So I think for for us the the how are you? How are we going to be proactive? Moving now, being first, I think is uh, is really interesting. I mean, one thing there's actually like people that are starting. There's like an article uh, on Bloomberg about people are paying real money to get into virtual Zoom nightclubs. But there's been this like rise of like ticketed online events. And I, at the end of the day, it's like I don't know if that's the answer. But I think per your point, like people always want music, like people want access and some level of exclusive access to their favorite artists. So I think there is like a lot of unique opportunities to unlock something new here. Um, mm-hmm. So let's, let's uh, move fast and keep our fingers crossed. Um, I think, I think also a lot of businesses are going to be born out of this. Mm-hmm. So um, in my opinion, at least I was reading an article um, or I was reading a book called obstacle is the way. And it said over, you know, half of the fortune 500, companies were built or um, found their peak either during a recession or depression. So yeah. it's, it's almost like in addition to the, in addition to the companies that are being built now, how do we position ourselves for the companies that are, you know, companies already, how do we position ourselves like these young and nimble companies that are going to be coming for us after this is all over, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like, you know, I, to your point, like, you know, in great, turmoil only two things happen like you go under or you rise to the occasion you know as corny as it sounds but i think there's no lack of intelligence and wit and access to information out there for you know some of the brightest ideas to come about and you know i think like anybody else would want to be a part of it like we do Mm -hmm. a thousand percent so um I mean, we'd love to go, kind of go back to your roots prior to joining and helping builds and co-founds uh, Love Renaissance. Um, can you talk a little bit about just how, kind of what first sparked your interest in music and how did you end up joining the music industry? Um, man, I never had an overt like, passion for the music industry. I think especially like, you know, retroactively thinking about it, my passion has always been like experiential and just making people fall in love with ideas that I may have or concepts that I may be like thinking about. Um, that goes as far back as when we started playing parties. You know, I think throwing a party is in itself the epitome of marketing because in theory, you're just trying to get the same people to come to the same place the same time, on the same day, every week. The DJ's probably going to be the same. The atmosphere's probably going to be similar. But one way or another, you have to change the concept of what you feel like you're giving the crowd or the people week by week to keep, keep them interested. And I feel like that, that skill or just like that innate um, quality that I may have has helped for music and would help for movies and would help for TV. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think I think the the urge or want to be able to bring people together and just, you know, um, find a way to tap in to hold people's attention is the the through line that I have with everything that, you know, we do with LVRN. Um, it's not 
I've always said like music is for me the atmosphere. I mean, not the atmosphere, but yeah, no, it's the atmosphere. It's the the soundtrack to life. Like you know, you wake up and you want to hear something. The same thing you wake up to is not the same thing you want to go to sleep to. So you change mm. what you're listening to. That's why I would say artists like you can't be everything to everybody. You know, somebody mm-hmm. won't only hear you in the gym. Somebody only wants to hear you when they make love. Somebody only wants to hear you when they're your size. So instead of trying to be everything to everybody, find what you're find what part of somebody's life soundtrack that you think that you are best at providing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's never been a music thing, but, you know, starting in high school into college, throwing parties, bringing people together. And, you know, in Atlanta, naturally, you know, the, the I guess, proximity to like, celebrities and people coming up in the music industry, if you're throwing the best parties, naturally you rub shoulders with them and you develop relationships and, you know, you turn 20 years old, and you're like, damn, am I going to be a promoter for the rest of my life? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like going to the NBA. Like, you know, there's only a few guys that are like making money for real, for real. Well, actually, that's everybody in the NBA makes money. Well, yeah, it's, it's far and few between <laughs> a super successful 60-year-old promoter, you know. So um, I think two and day and myself at the time, who were like kind of like knee deep in, the, in throwing parties, found an out, or not even an out, but found a smooth transition with a couple of friends that we had who were producing at the time. And, you know, we tell the story all the time. But yeah, I mean, through through a handful of scenarios and triumphs and efforts, you know, we uh, we linked up with the right people at the right time. And, you know, the rest is the beginning of history. So I was actually um, listening to Ramya's episode on Insta Real recently, um, and they asked her, you know, what, why did you get into party promoting? And she says, you know, she took a class on Diddy when she was at NYU, and um, she felt like the best way to get into the music industry was to do it the same way, you know, Scooter Braun did it, Diddy did it, which was throwing parties first, um, and that kind of got her Braun foot in the door. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You did it. So do you think do you think for people wanting to come into the music industry and bump these shoulders with these people that um, they should be looking forward to to throwing parties initially? Do you think that's a route that people should actually aim for? Or do you think it's just kind of the byproduct of, you know, being a party promoter? Um, I was with Ronnie at nine o'clock this morning working out in the park. <laughs> that's crazy. But um I think there's different personalities in the music industry. Diddy isn't... Ah, oh man. There's a book, and I always talk about this book, that... Uh, no, this, is, this isn't in The Outliers. This is in The Tipping Point. And it speaks about... There's mavens. There's... Basically, there's like three types of people, one of which is that type of person that will remember your name 10 years from now after meeting you for 30 seconds. Those are like the ditties of the world that are literally phones filled with contacts. They don't necessarily do business in the office. They're the one that rather take you to get a drink than mm-hmm. to you know you know the boardroom. And their relationships and business are equally built off of their personal life and how they kind of approach um, creating opportunity. And I feel like that is the world that tuned in myself, obviously somebody like mm. Rami. Now you obviously have those very well put together, incredibly analytical people that are equally as, or have been as successful in the music industry, but their approach is totally different. Like, like somebody like Tunji stays in the studio. Like they're very, like they don't leave the studio. I don't go to studios. <laughs> I place in the world, 90% of them don't have windows. I just can't do it. Hmm. But we equally share our ability to find peace that the music industry needs or are missing or whatever the case may be. But I feel like, um, I feel like in theory, maybe the easiest approach is throwing parties because, you know, being around enough people, meeting enough people, making a name for yourself, being able to go somewhere and bump into people is... Um, ultimately what kind of gives you a nice notoriety to go with like your work ethic but being somebody that's always in the studio always looking for artists or always you know you know on the research shit is a little a little bit harder to get recognized especially recognized for things that you do right because sometimes like you know credit gets lost in translation so 
Um, yeah, no, nah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely a way, but I don't think it's the way because if there's a bunch of people just like me, the, the company wouldn't work either. We just we all be. <laughs> Right. Can you, right. and then that's awesome. I mean, uh, and fun to hear this. Can you dive deeper into kind of like building love Renaissance and, and how it kind of started, you mentioned just kind of came together with the right, right group. How, how did it, devo- how did it really evolve into what it is today? And I mean, if you could just speak to different like areas of focus along the road, maybe any like big kind of turning points. Yeah. I mean, I think one, it's like first and foremost, it's like not even on the like super spiritual thing but it's like shout out to god first because there's it really makes no sense that this puzzle found itself without you know without too much effort um but you know all of us meeting in either high school or college us all coming from us all being first generation immigrants which we also think is a commonality that we share for a reason um but we all have unique superpowers that we've kind of honed in on over the years. I think in the beginning, we were all doing everything. Yo, what, you need help over there? Okay, I'm going over there. You can't make it to the show? Okay, I'll go over there. Did you see this email? If you didn't see this email, I'll just answer it for you. Like now, you know, after realizing that you can have that level of, uh, of attention to everything when you only have one artist or when there's only one thing going on, or there's only one priority. But when you're building a full-fledged company with multiple artists and multiple endeavors, and, you know, there's, you know, endorsement stuff going on over here, there's TV and film stuff going on over here, there's agency stuff over here, everybody has to um, really be more of a team player and get as good as they can at what they do best and trust their partners to do the rest. So, like, you know, again, like, I handle the majority of the marketing stuff, brand stuff, um, like, you know, the experiential activation stuff. Two days, incredibly hands-on when it comes to, like, the artist management, the high-level business stuff, um, you know, maintaining the relationship with our Interscope partners, uh, you know, agency partners, you know, and everybody all around, all the DSPs. Justice is our A&R, but, you know, he's, like, just, like, cultural, you know, savant, um, in a sense, uh, you know, is always to the ground and just naturally has a, uh, an amazing palette for music. And it's like, you know, most just like genuine form. Carlin is the eyes of the company, all of our visuals, photo shoots, videos, overall, just like creative output when it comes to sight is, um, it's his vision. Um, Junior's the most level-headed, and organized individual that we have. He handles all of the touring, all of the HR. Um, at the end of the day, like we have a, at any given point, we have 18 people on staff. And then another, you know, if somebody's on the road, there's 40 people that need to get paid, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, Junior is, you would never know that he's handling the lives of so many people and still finds time to, Answer Mario, can you cash app this person real quick? Text, you know, so mm-hmm. um, for sure. When it when it comes to, um, can you dive deeper into your like just when it when it comes to marketing artists? Uh, what fact, like, what do you really focus on when it comes to really trying to help build audience, build and grow and convert audiences around the artists? Um, man, I mean, I think. For us, we don't tend to sign artists that we don't feel like we could tell a story for. Um, going back to my statement about music being the soundtrack to life, we just kind of try to find exactly where we feel like this artist, even in the early stages, because where you start isn't going to be where you finish, but finding a way to put that artist in their story in front of people so that they can care about them at the same rate that they care about the music. Um, I think that is the hardest and easiest part. It's the most, it's the part that comes most natural to us, especially most naturally to me because I know how I gravitate towards new artists, new brands, new, I was at the supermarket with my roommate the other day and 
I put a, a box of Crest toothpaste in my cart and he took it out and he put a box of Sensoderm in the cart. <laughs> he was like, no, this one's way better. I'm like, like, I was like going with it for a second, but I'm like, man, Crest commercials are just better, bro. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, me, that's me knowing that I'm brainwashed, but accepting it and also having like, whatever connection that I have to my toothpaste that I didn't know was as strong as it was to ultimately take another competitor, whether better or not, out of the cart and replace it with my lackluster toothpaste um, <laughs> that was to me better is the amount of importance that I put on it. Because again, I'm knee deep in this shit all the time. So if I'm knee deep in it, then who am I to not take advantage of being able to provide somebody else that level of like connection? Um, and because I don't have to focus on getting the music ready, getting the business done, getting the tour ready, I can focus on how and why you should fall in love um, and, and you know, help construct the calendar for what that process looks like that fits into the artist's overall career. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't ask for a better role. That makes a lot of sense. Could you, I mean, put some of that into context, into some of the one or two of the artists that you, like any specific examples or stories come to mind when it's like taking that framework and really figuring out how to really unpack and, and tell this specific story or really enlist fans in this journey? Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess most recently, Summer Walker's album was really interesting in a, in a really a really dope challenge because she is an interesting person in general. And, you know, she doesn't necessarily love to be out and about. She doesn't want to do hours and hours of press. Uh, but she has such a deep connection with her fans and her fans resonate and relate to her on such a high level that you can't deny having to service them. So I think for her, her album's rollout, you know, one, the music has such a nostalgic sense to it in the sense that it just kind of felt like the R&B that a lot of us grew up on. Uh, so even from a visual standpoint, us creating these commercials that felt like, uh, you know, those 2 a.m. in the morning uh, compilation albums. Like, and I know you remember this one, you know, play like 30 seconds of an old, like mm -hmm. Diana Ross song. And obviously I think the use of community, which is, the company that provides phone numbers for artists to be able to use and stay mm -hmm. in contact text them and call them. And you can, you know, text all the girls one day, text all the boys one day. If it's your birthday, I can send you a personal text because it popped up that it's your birthday. That's something that we use to our advantage because it was easy for Summer to be able to communicate at a mass level with um, information that she, you know, wanted to push out. So, Using that phone number as a through line the entire time was incredibly dope. Uh, we, and shout out to Maria, who, Maria Rubin, who has literally executed some of our most insane ideas from day one. But I think one of the ones that take the cake for, uh, you know, her input is the phone boots that we had. So basically, we wanted to find, again, like we're, we've, we haven't been big, fans of album listenings mm. in most in the, the the normal sense of what they usually are because nine times out of ten it's fucking, you know, two hundred douchebags in a room talking over the artist's music while, you know, drinking free, you know, tequila um, sponsored by. Uh, <laughs> so, sign me up. No, I'm playing. <laughs> He's like, that sounds so cool. <laughs> For the artists, you can just watch the pain on their face as, you know, they, you know, talk their heart out and talk about what a song means to them, plays 10 seconds of it, then you just hear the conversations engulf the music. And, you know, we've done that too many times to realize that it's not effective. Um, so we had an idea uh, that Maria came up with to have these phone booths. Um, these phone booths, we put them in five different cities from, did we do London? I don't know. We did Atlanta, Toronto, Houston or Dallas, Chicago, and a couple more. And there were these pink colorful phone booths. And when you go up to the phone booth, you pick it up and you follow the prompt to ultimately get to hear the album through the headset 
of the of the phone booth prior to the album coming out. So obviously you're you're attacking fans, which number one is always amazing because sometimes I feel like we overservice media instead of the fans. And this was an amazing opportunity for even media to have to come to this phone booth in order to get the information. Um, and then, you know, so I think that went super well. And it was a way that Summer didn't have to be there in order to get it done. Um, we had a, another idea called, because the album was called Over It, and the whole concept was just being over, you know, past lovers, mm-hmm. past relationships, you know, moments in your life over a job, over a coworker, whatever the case. And, you know, we're really big on mental health. And I don't know if you guys ever heard of smash rooms and what a smash room is it's more or less if you're upset about something you just need to go get some anger some tension out mm-hmm. in this way you go in this room they give you a couple of old tvs a vcr some glasses some china and they give you a sledgehammer and you get to just go ham on it so we found a way to recreate the idea of a smash room and give fans the opportunity to you know get out some aggression to the sounds of Summer Walker. So imagine hearing like this amazing R&B album play. <laughs> women, women have like these like pink jumpsuits, goggles and sledgehammers. And we took it to London and we've got this huge warehouse. We had cars in there. We had washing machines, record players, refrigerators. We literally spent thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands of junk to be able to give to the fans for them to just smash through it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, so I say all that to say, none of that had anything to do with the music, but it all had to do with the way people are able to receive it. Like they're able to receive mm-hmm. the context. So when they listen to the music, they have the roadmap. It's almost like we give somebody the roadmap ahead of time. So when you listen to the music, you understand why it sounds the way it does, uh, why certain songs are there, why certain features are there. And again, like, we play to what our artists' attributes are. You know, if, if I know you don't like going out during the daytime, like, we're not going to do anything during the daytime, you know? So, and I feel like finding that that steady. And a beautiful thing is all of our artists trust us so much to, to not fuck their brand up or, you know, do anything that we know they naturally wouldn't, that the majority of them make it very easy for us to... Um, get our shit off. Yeah. Um, what do you think some of the things you should do early on? Because I know you said you guys obviously spent a lot of money on the marketing campaign and it sounds great. Um, but what, be, what are some of the things you guys did early on or do with your developing acts where you think independent artists or independent managers can first thinking about um, how to market their artists for themselves or, or brand their artists and themselves? Hmm. Well, I'll say, I always say the... Um, the nucleus of any amazing idea is free. Money should always, money should only be able to magnify an idea, but it shouldn't really stop you from executing the idea. Right. And uh, I think that is something that we had to learn because once we start having funding to be able to do everything we ever wanted to do, sometimes we fucked it up because we thought what we were missing was money. But then we left the the basics of what we had to do before we had the money. So I guess my 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 I guess advice to up and coming managers or artists that have to market themselves is you can do a lot yourself. Finding a team that believes in you is incredibly important, but it's not the only thing you need. You have to know that support comes along the way and you can't expect it to be there from jump. And I, I think that goes back to throwing parties because not nobody just wants to listen to your mixtape. But if you're the, the gatekeeper of getting me in this party or not getting me in this party and, you know, I come to your party every week and then a week later you hit me <laughs> I got this artist. You should check them out. There's a different, you have to play to the human nature of people and what people really want and what people want of you before you're this big time executive, they want to get in your party. So Mm -hmm. now that you have them on that hook, 
you can introduce them something that they didn't know that they want. And then if whatever product that you show them is actually good, then now you've just elevated your relationship from party promoter to party promoter plus some. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the approach that we've always taken with just like our business career is we have an atmosphere that's, you know, family oriented, lovable, playable, have parties over here, execute over here. But we always make sure that what our agenda is, is so on point that when we try to introduce you to something new, you kind of have to um, respect it. Let's tune their call. It's all amazing. When it comes to um, the stories of like finding, I mean, you guys have a really impressive roster. Can you talk about how you came across some of your, the, the artists on your roster? Uh, yeah. Anybody in particular? Black and Summer Walker. We start there. Uh, Black was introduced to us. Granted, again, this goes back to partying because you know the party scene and the party promoting community is a close knit one that everybody knows each other, whether you like each other or don't, or he charges too little at his, his parties, and it's like just it's a high school in itself. But um, one of our really good friends, um, Trizzy, and also Diamond, who to this day you know works really close with the six brought six to us because they we were just kind of known as the young guys with, you know, an understanding for the music industry, um, a couple of stripes here and there, but more importantly, like, we were, like, easy to touch. We're at home. Like, we're, you know, we're approachable. And we've had a relationship with Trizzy and Diamond for, you know, at this point, 15-plus years. Um, they introduced Black to us. Black was in um, a really bad position as far as like you know his um his prior deal and we just we just took our time you know like you know uh you know we made sure he was straight his living conditions were straight gave him a studio to to record in and all the meanwhile us figuring out how to help you know get him in a, a legal position that would allow for him to you know be the artist that he really you know needed to be and you know we just provided the resources and you know, the opportunity for us to ultimately be able to work with him in a, a full capacity. And um, that's been dope. Summer is an interesting story. We have a studio in Atlanta called LVRN Studios. Our studio manager at the time, her name is Summer Walker. One day she was Googling herself and she found Summer Walker. She ended up talking <laughs> to Summer Walker introducing us to Summer Walker and, you know, the story's history. Wow. That's crazy. I'm about to, I'm about to look up my name right now. <laughs> 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 Shit, maybe I'll find my next business partner. <laughs> That's awesome. When it came to, um, I mean, similar to when you kind of share the story of like building Love Renaissance, I mean, what were some of the biggest turning points like in Black's career? And then in like summers, like if you kind of, because obviously a lot of people that are listening are just trying to figure out the, the ways to break. And obviously there's no one size fits all answer, but really curious about the, the big inflection points and areas of focus early on that you feel have uh, led to the most results. Um, I mean, I give, I give Black a lot of his, obviously a lot of his own credit because he, his connection with his fans is so um close and he pays such close attention to the where he is in his career at any given time he was the first artist that we ever met that was buying his own facebook ads before we even started working with him like he has an understanding of outside of any artist you know i've yet to meet so i think working with him in general everything was a turning point just because it was never any um, conflict in the way that we view how to make sure that we get more and more fans. But yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you know, there's a couple of songs that break you through so you have the eyes and ears of everybody. I think um, Free Black obviously did exactly what he needed to do. Um, his second album, East Atlanta Love Letter did the same thing. I think we did a really good job at telling the story and kind of giving people 
all of the ingredients to go have conversations of their own about, you know, you know, a handful of questions that we made really um, public and really dire. Uh, but yeah, and you know, I think for summer, summer is just like a freak of nature in like the, in the, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? In the sense of how I backtrack how this shit all blew up. And I say a freak of nature in the sense of like how it all came together. Um, because summer was the first incredibly polarizing act that we've ever had, you know, like, you know, just the idea of where she comes from, um, you know, what her, you know, old, you know, occupation used to be, but the fact that she plays the guitar, she's super pretty, but she has face tats. Like she was like a recipe for like, you know, the internet, you know, it's almost like she, we used to say that she's like the little Uzi of R&B. Actually that still holds true. But I think, it was really easy for us because she naturally gained a lot of attention. She was like the first artist that like shade room would just like naturally post. And granted, like as toxic as that, (laughs) that some of these um, social media, you know, outlets can be, you do need them to like help get out your message. And I feel like someone was the first artist that people naturally kind of helped us get that message out. And yeah, I mean, the turning point is us putting out quality music every single time and meeting the expectations of what the media and fans demanded of her. And I think, importantly, mm-hmm. I think Summer was and is our first female artist. And us as a company that the founders, not by design, but are all male, we had to really unlearn and empower and embrace uh, a lot of our female staff in a way that we never had to before or never knew before just because naturally I might think, you know, no, let's use this color. And they're like, no, 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 women hate that color, bro. <laughs> I want simple mistake to just fuck this whole campaign up. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool and um, you know, I really appreciated just like taking the backseat to a lot of things just because I feel like, you know, I wasn't going to be the expert for a lot of decisions. And it was dope to really see that we have people around us that can be the experts when uh, we need it. Right, right. Um, I want to get a little bit into um, the JV you guys have, the partnership that you guys have, um, because that seems like a pretty growing business model uh, with me when I was at EQT. Um, we just had Will Zomback on, um, who, who, you know, who did that actually you know, several, several years ago, but it seems like this management label hybrid is um, becoming a little bit more and more popular as it, as it makes sense. Um, in my opinion, I think that probably happens because I think uh, management over the years has taken the brunt of a lot of the costs of a traditional record label. So it just kind of makes sense to form that partnership. But when do you think it makes sense for um, a company and when did it make sense for LVRN to, to kind of look at the situation that you guys had and think, you know, maybe we should get some other partners on this? Um, I mean, I think for us, it was simple because we knew that ultimately our business model before having the label find artists, invest in them, everything that we can, mm-hmm. um, blow them up, get the attention of a label. And then in reality, you kind of give away everything you work for when you signed to a label but aren't able to participate the same way that they participate. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like hard work and then you just, you know, took the back seat. And granted, the way we operate as management is almost like a label. Like we're a part of everything. Right. So, you know, Joey IE and John Janik and Berman over at Interscope, they were tired of seeing us come to their office or they were actually tired of chasing artists that they never got a chance to sign. And at a certain point they realized that, okay, maybe the magic is as much in these guys as it is in the artists that they are finding and developing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for us, because, you know, granted we had the, we had enough money and resources and relationships to do everything that we were doing with black at the time. from the But 
we know that our overall goals are so much bigger than being able to provide resources for one artist or two artists, but it's, you know, to own the damn building. So I think, you know, everybody, some, sometimes people are too, um, too concerned with owning a hundred percent of nothing. Mm-hmm. And for, I think us, we, we already, we already, there's already five of us as co-founders, right? So that's already uh, a model that a lot of people are confused about. Um, but I think we understand what everybody or what a partner is is able to contribute in mm-hmm. how 10% of a billion dollars is way more than 100% of 10 million. So I mm-hmm. think we all understand that model incredibly clear. Um, having somebody like Interscope was a really easy easy answer. So when should other people do it? I don't know. know. (laughs) Yeah. The the dynamic of having five co-founders is definitely like really interesting. I mean, has uh, at face value, it seems like that could cause a lot of issues when it comes to giving key decision makers power without necessarily needing any sort of like consent from all like how have you created a structure and kind of, I mean, probably not, there's no like formal code of conduct, or maybe there is, but like when it comes to preventing the issue of having to get everybody sign off on everybody's decision, how, how has that evolved over time to a point where you guys are all able to effectively like swim in your own lanes to, to boil the ocean? Yeah, no, nah, I mean, I think, um, I think in the very beginning it was, Easy and hard, and easy and hard in the end because I say that because when there's only one decision to be made, we can all five of us can argue over like because we're all fucking creators at the end of the day. <laughs> like if it should be blue or if it should be red for three hours, but right. that was all we had to make that day. So we we have time. Um, we don't have that time to argue over the same things. But what we've developed over those years in between is a level of trust that I don't have to be a part of every decision. I know he's good at that and he's going to do what he needs to do. Granted, huge decisions. Um, some decisions are bigger than others. Sometimes we just want to counsel each other before we make a decision in our own in our own realm. Like, like sometimes it may have nothing to do with what Tunde will do on a normal day or Justice or Carlin or Junior, but I might just want to be like, yo, what do you think of this before I pull the trigger? So I think there's a there's such a friendship there and a and a and um you know confidence that we have in each other that there is no granted the decisions now you know there's extra zeros that come behind the decision so uh, the decisions are heavier but I feel like our rapport with each other is so grand that it doesn't really feel it we have taken on like we do we do like um, group therapy though like every couple of weeks. Um, oh, that's pretty cool. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah well, like, you know, and it's not because shit was falling apart and, you know, like, you guys need to get it together. No, it's, it's more like we spend so much time, you know, taking care of our bodies when we go to the gym, you know, watching the food that we eat. Um, but the same level of effort we don't put on piecing back our brain and our mental. Um, you know, so yeah. So for us, I think it's really good to just have our therapist that we talk to all the time. And we, we talk to him individually, talk to her individually, or even as a group all the time. And we'll do like five hours and just like get anything off our chest. Yo, I don't like how you, when you sent that text, did you mean to actually, <laughs> you'll realize how, how small things can um, develop without context. And having such a safe place to speak to each other and knowing that the ultimate goal for everybody is to leave out there even closer than you were when you got in there. It only makes you stronger. So, Right. That's dope. That's dope. Um, I think mental health in the music industry is like a, it's like an interesting topic because I think a lot of people don't pay attention to it enough. I think, you know, we can all get, it's it's an entrepreneurial space. So we can all grind um, for as long as we want to. You know what I mean? To get to get the things that we want. And I do think having that balance is important. Um, speaking of you guys all being, um, you said a little bit earlier, all you guys were 
first first immigrants, right? First generation immigrants. Um, and you guys opened a, a store in Nigeria, right? Uh, yeah. No, it was in Ghana. Oh, Ghana. So what? What? Uh, what went behind the, the decision to do that? Yeah. So Justice and Junior are both um, Ghanaian, and I think for us, w- watching the globalization of like music, and especially Africa, finally on a commercial level having a footprint in music, in the music business as they should have for so much time, especially when we, you know, in reference to the U.S., like you start to hear a lot more Afrobeat records. Mm-hmm. Artists, like, like what used to be the Jamaican set in the club is now the Afrobeat set in the club, and it's so dope to see. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to make sure that that side of the world is respected and is given the same resources that we are taking from them or that we are participating in with them um, at the same rate. So it's kind of like, let's just not take music and not give back what what makes the culture so cool. Mm-hmm. And down to even just clothes, like, you know, like, we have access to everything. Like, if you're a Travis Scott fan, you can buy merch whenever you want. Um, but shipping merch to West Africa doesn't really exist in form right now. So for us, it was us starting the relationship of being able to get the same level of, you know, textiles and clothing and merch and just dope independent brands, whether it be an independent designer that is based in Africa or an independent designer that's based in Atlanta or LA or New York or Chicago and being able to have that central hub of community in Accra, Ghana, because the demand exists, but the supply doesn't. So we just wanted to start that uh, relationship and we sold out of everything within like four hours during our pop-up. So, Wow. That's crazy. Um, well, as we get towards the end here, one kind of last um, question on my end is, what do you feel separates um, good management companies from like great management companies? So like the, the top 1% versus the top 10%. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I forgot what, I was, I was having a conversation with one of the guys not too long ago about I think we, we we were arguing about whether, fuck, I forgot. But anyway, I think the message of it was, I don't think we're the best managers for everybody. We're good at what. So for me, the difference between like good and great is actually knowing what you do best and finding talent and finding people to help push that narrative rather than signing everything. Just because mm-hmm. you're the this manager doesn't mean that you can take every artist to the top. And mm-hmm. I think greatest managers are knowing what you can take to the top and what is better left for somebody else. And a lot of times management companies are too wrapped up in market share and, oh, that sounds kind of hot. Do you think you can take care of it? Okay, let's get, let's get that. Let's get that. Let's get that. And for us, as much as we've learned to not be as overly critical as we, you know, as we've designed ourselves to be. Um, I think we know what we're good at. And like, you know, those are the projects that we are wanting to be a part of because, you know, when we're in, we're a hundred percent in, you know, passion, heart and and you know, resource. So yeah. I love that. Makes a lot of sense, man. Jordan? Yeah, man. I think that's it. Yeah, I mean I, you know, one one last question that I kind of wanted to to float by you or I guess it's a concept is that it seems like love renaissance um and you know Henny talked about this during his episode is a little bit more of like a cultural incubator um and that you guys really take care of the artists and bring them from you know sometimes in the beginning of their career or most of the time from the beginning of their career to the peak of their career as opposed to kind of throwing as much shit up against the wall um as you can um so I guess 
you know, one, do you see, are there any other labels or management companies that you think do, do, do that in a similar way? And, and two, when you guys started doing that, you know, seven years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, um, there weren't a lot of people there and there weren't a lot of companies like that. So what kind of made you guys take that route? Um, as opposed to being like, yo, this is cool. Let's give it a shot. This is cool. Let's give it a shot. This is cool. Let's give it a shot. As opposed to being like, let's be all, uh, what you guys did do is let's be all in on these, these people that we really believe in. Um, for as long as we need to get to them to where we want them to be and where they want themselves to be. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we all try to sound like the genius and, and feel as if our plan was by design all the, at all times. You know, I think mm-hmm. come to be now is us seeing the effect that we have on the culture and, you know, you know, some of our just closest friends and chase make how we're viewed. And we're like, oh shit, like we didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Since y'all care so much, okay, cool, let's yo, they care guys. All right, cool. Let's let's make sure <laughs> that, that like we continue to build a world that is like, you know, worthy of people's fucking thoughts. Um I think as far as yeah, I mean I think I see like I see a lot of talent out here. Like it's, it's especially like executive talent. And I think for me, it's really cool to see when we're able to get to a point that we are now putting people in position that have nothing to do with the immediate benefit of us. Like mm-hmm. me hiring you to work at LVRN is cool, especially if you're great, but I can't hire everybody, but you know what? You should go take that job at Motown. You should go take that job at Spotify. You should go take that job at this label. And us just being like, you know, of minorities for the most part, and especially a lot of the people that I want to see in position, I think it's more important to spread the eyes and ears all over the industry so that when it comes time that I need some help or you need some help, we know exactly who to talk to. And it's, it's dope to see that, the changing of guard happening with our closest friends and family. So, you know, so there can be another LVRN. So, mm-hmm. or another chairman of a label that looks just like me or just like you. And I think that is something that we've been a lot more, a lot more um, obvious about, or a lot more, um, damn, I don't, I don't know the word anymore. Explicit about? Nah. Not explicit. Sounds like explicit, though. A lot more intentional about. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more intentional about. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, awesome. man. Well, super excited for everything you're cooking up, man. It's been uh, fun to watch, and I'm sure it's it's still just the, the early days, man. I know you guys got a big mission and vision, and uh, excited to see you guys accomplish it. So thank you so much for coming on today, man. It's been a, a true pleasure. Yeah, man. Thank you, boss. Yo, man, I thought that was a great episode, dude. I thought Agreed. that was a great episode. I think we're knocking it out the park on these quarantine episodes despite the distance between us and our guests. Um, a few things that I liked in this episode. Um, one was just the origin story is always great. You know, how did how did LVRN come to be? Um, I think that, you know, something that I think is a trend in the music industry is it's just party promoters and how they connect to the music industry. Um, and we really got to dig into that a little bit deeper here. Um, another thing that I appreciate is that he spoke on mental health and how important mental health is just for him and him and his team, but also him and his artists. And how can we how can we, um, you know, take what the artist gives us in terms of constraints in the in the example of Summer Walker and not trying to do an entire press day? How do we use that constraint um, and turn it into something innovative and positive like, you know, putting her entire album in a phone booth in different cities across the world, you know? Um, I think we, I think he was, you know, innovative and, and showed that during the conversation, um, but also showed a, a really big importance on on balance. And I thought that was something that I wasn't necessarily expecting to get from the conversation, but that I'm glad that we that we went. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, man. I think Sean is a stand-up guy. I think what they've been able to build at Love Renaissance is is incredible. Love their artists. Um, yeah, I mean, what stood out the most was really just really trying to create unique moments around the music. Uh, I know he spoke about some of the different activations, but really like pressing in a layer to think around what's unique about the music. What are the different stories you can tell? Um, Focusing on artists that you know well. I think he made a really good call out around like we, 
do what we do well, but they're not trying to service everybody. And I think if they did, right. then they probably wouldn't do as good of a job. So I think uh, also really just loved hearing how they've developed the team dynamic that supports five co-founders. I think that's uh, by conventional terms, very uh, something that'd be like, eh, I don't know about that, but I think they've been able to make it work. And I think he did a good job at explaining how they've been able to really build out different swim lanes and internal trust so that people can, can kind of, work and orchestrate together so i really enjoyed it um also we want to start shouting out people that leave reviews we're super grateful for the reviews and the reviews definitely help us get this podcast in front of other people so shout out swiss boy s-w-i-s-s-b-o-y the best to ever do it uh <laughs> thank you for your review and uh we'll be keeping an eye out if you guys have other reviews be sure to go check out swiss boy if you haven't already so with that being said, thank you all so much. Super grateful for your continued support. Uh, see you next week. See you guys next week. <laughs>